insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. My name's not Patrick Madrid, but you probably could tell that from my voice. Welcome to the program. My name's Father Matthew Spencer, and I'm grateful for the invitation from Patrick to spend uh, today with you as he gets a little R&R. Actually, I saw a beautiful picture of him with his family on Twitter, X, whatever. What are we calling that now? I, I don't know. Go to twitter.com slash Patrick Madrid and you can see uh, what he's up to today. But I'm very happy to be with you as we continue our Lenten journey. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. 888-914-9149 is the number here at the studios of Relevant Radio. And I'm happy to include you on this program. How is your Lenten journey going? This is the seventh day of this Lent 2024. I I am I woke up this morning just feeling like this Lent is flying by. This Lent is going to be gone before you know it. And how important it is that we take advantage of the the few days that are left to us now. How important it is that we use this time to prepare for Easter. So, just as we kick off this program, I'd like you to to ponder how well are you doing so far? I mean, you know that tomorrow will make it one week exactly since Ash Wednesday began. Uh, how are you doing on your Lenten sacrifices? Did you slip up and not fast on Ash Wednesday? Or maybe you accidentally ate meat last Friday? Uh, sometimes we don't always get off to the right on the right foot. And the danger is when that happens is that we give up entirely. The danger when we don't start off perfectly is that we think, well, what's, what's the point? Why should I even try now if I didn't get off to a, a good, excellent start? I might as well just go back to my former way of life before this Lent started. I might as well go back and just ignore any possibility for growth. I encourage you, I implore you. I invite you to not fall into that trap. Uh, it's okay if it didn't start off perfectly. It's okay if it wasn't exactly the smoothest start you've ever had. Maybe you were at the starting line, the gun fired, and you were paying attention to something else and weren't aware of what was going on. And it feels like everybody else is far ahead of you on the racetrack and you can maybe never catch up. Never fear. Start running, jog if you have to, to begin, stretch as you're going along. What I'm saying is that we still have 33 days left, right? We still have some time left, and God wants us to use all of it, even if it's imperfect, even if we're, we're not the greatest at living Lent. And let's face it, I mean, when was the last time that you or I lived a perfect Lenten experience? Uh, never. Never there have, well, I don't know about you. Maybe yours has been perfect. Uh, it seems like sometimes I get off on a really good start and sometimes Lent begins and I feel jazzed. I feel ready. I feel like this is going to be the best, best experience ever and that nothing could stop me from using this time of grace. 
to move forward and to grow in in virtue. Uh, but um, more often than not, I think we we start off a little a little rocky, a little little a little uncertain, a little unstable, and we have to get our bearings and keep going. Right. So make sure that you're you're not losing hope. Make sure that you're not not losing focus. And maybe if you didn't get off to a great start, then just take a deep breath and use what time you have now. And I guarantee you it will be better than just giving up completely now. I guarantee you (laughs) there will be at least some progress. There will be at least some major growth for you. Okay, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Let's go to Rowan, who's calling from San Marcos, Texas. Hello, Rowan. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hello, Father Matthew. Um, my question is, because Jesus was crucified over Adam's grave, do we have Adam's relics? Not that I know of, Rowan. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, we have re- relics of a lot of saints, even saints going back to the time of Jesus, right? I mean, we have relics of St. Peter. We have relics of the apostles. We have relics of, of uh, some of the garments that our Blessed Mother wore. We have lots of relics that date back to the time of Jesus. Even we have some some relics that date back to prior to Jesus, to figures from the Old Testament. But to my knowledge, we have no relics of, of Adam himself, uh, Rowan. And, and it's a good question. And I wonder, I wonder why that would be, you know, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, you know, just speculating that probably, I mean, God, when he saved Adam, saved him completely. Save, he, he brought him up from Sheol, from the place of the dead, and brought him to salvation, right? And wanted to save the whole of Adam. And maybe there's just a little reminder there that, you know, the whole of Adam is brought to heaven and the whole of Adam is, is prepared a, a symbol of our, our own resurrection. And so maybe, maybe that's why we have no relics of him because God took everything up, right? And, and is preparing for us to meet Adam in heaven. So just a guess, Rowan. That's good. All right. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Did you have a nice, did you have yesterday off for President's Day? Yeah. Okay, nice. Uh, Well, God bless you, okay? Say hi to your family for me. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Oh, that's a great question. What a great start. I appreciate you you calling in, Ron. We have a lot of relics. Uh, In fact, if you... Go to a Catholic church, uh, every altar is supposed to have either in its surface an altar, an altar stone, we call it, or more recently, the church has been encouraging us to place relics in a reliquary that is, that is not just on the surface of the altar, but is actually embedded and deep down. And even sometimes those relics can be displayed and you can even see them at the Shrine of St. Joseph, where I work and minister in Santa Cruz, California, for example, the relic at the altar is a bone of the founder of my religious community, St. Joseph Morello. He was a bishop from the, the late 19th century, lived in northern Italy. Not a, not a well-known saint at all. In fact, outside of the, the religious community I belong to, probably few people know of him. He was a great devotee of St. Joseph, and he lived just a humble, simple, hidden life. I mean, he didn't go out and wasn't famous. He didn't write some big books. He just wrote some letters and some important, interesting reflections for our community. 
Um, and yet, John Paul II recognized his greatness. He was canonized in 2001 after a really, really amazing uh, set of miracles took place. It was, first of all, uh, one of the members of my religious community was healed miraculously through through the intercession of St. Joseph Morello. And then, more recently, in order to, after his beatification, there was a, a young uh, brother and sister in Peru in the high, high mountains of the uh, Andes who were... Uh, who were um, cured miraculously by St. Joseph Morello through the intercession of St. Joseph Morello, I should say. And so anyway, just a, a little tie-in to what Rowan was asking there about relics. Each altar will have relics, and you you might even t- ask your pastor if they know what relics are in there inside of the altar because um, it's good to know. You know, Usually they're martyrs that are, that are placed in the altar. So 888-914-9149. Albert is calling from Wisconsin. Hello, Albert. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Yeah, I got a question on language, bad language. Okay. I mean, I work construction, and, I mean, people are obsessed with the F word. I I just want to know how serious a sin is that, or or is it a sin at all? Um, yeah, good question, Albert. Well, it's definitely a sin to to use foul language, right? It's a sin because we're we're using a faculty that God gives to us, and we're not using it to glorify Him, but to to inspire uh, evil thoughts in others, or to maybe uh, try and wish evil upon others, to curse them. Sometimes, um, the the gravity of that sin, though, Albert, can vary quite a bit. I mean. I was doing a ministry in a prison for a short time during my formation. You know, I was a seminarian and I was, it was part of my, my formation before I became a priest. And I remember going to, to prison and uh, there were a lot of people that, you know, all of their language was just, um, was littered with this kind of, this kind with curse words, things we could never say on the air. Right. Um, and, uh, it wasn't necessarily that they were they were um, intending to curse one another either. It wasn't that they were intending this. It was from habit, right? It had become part of their speech patterns and part of the adjectives that just kind of popped up into their words. And I guess what I'm saying is that when it becomes habitual, then it and it's not uh, even noticed and not intended as as something heinous and horrible then certainly the, the, the culpability of that is mitigated. But in particular, there are words that are, that are stronger than others. I would say the word you're referring to is, is very serious and should not be used uh, by, by a Christian um, because it, it, it is very degrading to something that God made to be very beautiful, right? Uh, but also because right. it really inspires within us um, thoughts that take us away from God. Um, but it doesn't mean that every time it comes out and every time somebody utters it, they're committing a mortal sin. Because to commit a mortal sin, you have to know that that's the case. You have to have you know full capacity of your will in doing that. So, so there there is some kind of kind of some other aspects we have to consider when we're evaluating how serious that sin is. Okay, thanks a lot. Father. Thanks, Albert. Yeah, I appreciate it. God bless you. Yep. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. It's interesting to me. I mean, the use of language, especially in our day, because, I mean, language spreads 
quickly through through social media, quickly through means of communication, television, and all the things that we watch and the things we listen to, not to mention the music that just bombards our ears everywhere. And it really desensitizes us to, to the power and meaning of some words. I mean, just look at, look at how curse words are just um, used throughout speech in all kinds of different areas of people's lives. And it's really rather sad, in my opinion. It's sad that we cheapen our language with, with, um, with words that are offensive and have roots in, in you know, hurting other people and not trying to be gracious to one another. I think it's a sign really of our inability to express ourselves. <laughs> so we get angry and instead of being able to, to put our finger on our anger and to describe what's really bothering us, we use a word that will shock the person next to us. Uh, or will somehow reflect how society tends to express their anger by using some four-letter word. And so instead of, of us being clear, instead of us communicating well, instead of us actually expressing what we need to express, well, we, we remain kind of locked into, imprisoned into this form of communication that is not helping anybody. It's also interesting, I mean, how easily our words can scandalize other people, right? I mean, you and I, perhaps, maybe we've been exposed and listened to rather adult language and we hear that and we don't, um, it doesn't maybe scandalize us as much, uh, which is not, by the way, a good thing. You know, maybe we should be scandalized more by it. But if we've been exposed to it and it's been around us, then we realize this is the pattern of speech some people have. But for others who have maybe consciences that are more innocent and have speech that has not been so tainted by things of this world, then that language can be extremely harmful, can't it? I mean, that language can be extremely dangerous for, for them. It is interesting when you look at, I'm just following up on what Albert was asking about, about foul language. Um, it's interesting when you look at what happens inside of an exorcism, and let's face it, most people won't have the opportunity to witness an actual exorcism happening, and, and that's okay. It's not necessary for your Christian life. Uh, it's instructive for, for those who are able to participate in it and witness to it, because it does teach us something about the spiritual battle that underlies all of God's creation right now. But it's interesting to me how frequently inside of exorcisms, the one who is being influenced by evil or oppressed by evil or in extreme cases even possessed by some evil spirit, um, the foul language that will come out of their mouth is really something. And it's an expression of, of the evil one or the evil spirit trying to scandalize and turn off and frighten those who are there to express some hatred for the Lord, to try and defile the beauty of God's creation, which let's face it, this is what curse words really attempt to do, to express something, but in the process to defile the beauty of God's, of God's creation. Uh, and so I think especially when curse words become a habitual part of our language, 
we have a responsibility as adults to root that out. We have a responsibility as Christians to strive to improve our language. And at first it feels awkward. It feels like we can't really, I don't, maybe I should share this with you. I remember when I went off to college before, this was well before I was thinking about the priesthood, went off to college and unfortunately my language got bad because, well, I gave in to the language of all of my peers at the time. And I didn't really even notice it. I mean, people around me were using language that was, it was just not good. It was not healthy. It was it was, um, it was definitely not from God, but also just not very wise and not very helpful for me to communicate. And I remember coming home at that first break, maybe it was Thanksgiving, and these words were coming out of my mouth, and these words were, were not good, and I shouldn't have been using them around my little brothers and sisters. And it was just because they had become kind of habitual in my language, and I had to stop and root it out. And when I did, what was interesting was it was um, it felt like I couldn't express myself as well. It felt like my words weren't as strong coming out. Uh, of course, it was just a feeling because my words could be used in a more expressive way. But when you try and punctuate your phrases using curse words or shock words, well, then when you start using normal language, it doesn't feel as strong. And who's in the wrong, you know? Anyway, time to take a short Break your Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Patrick Madrid. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. I'll be back right after this. Today we'd like to thank Santi, who's listening in Maine, for donating his 1983 Jaguar XJ6. Classy. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting RelevantRadio.com slash car. That's RelevantRadio.com slash car. At the intersection of faith and culture, The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Patrick Madrid Show. It's Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Patrick and a blessed to be with you. In this Lenten season, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. We'll go right back to the phones. Joe is calling from Minneapolis. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Father, I had another perspective. Um, God's blessed me with quite a bit of uh, sobriety from alcohol. And Mm. I do some work up at a, oh, I don't know, kind of a, a boarding house type of deal and I put, help put meetings on up there. And, you know, it's been so not always, but sometimes we'll have women come into the, into that AA group. And I, I remember one time, especially that these idiots, you know, had a lot of sobriety and they were dropping the F bomb here. And I mean, I bet more than 20, 30 times. And there's this, um, beaten up, beaten down Indian uh, Native American lady. And I just, I really, I confronted him. And I said, you know, what do you, you don't know when you drop the F-bomb, you don't know if that woman's been raped or what kind of problems she has. It's just, so I wanted to bring that up, you know, in, in, with, in, but then you have women that drop it too, but you know, it's yeah. Uh, so, 
I mean, I think I think you're right, Joe, in the sense of like we language, we need to be sensitive to where other people are coming from, you know, and I think that's part of the part of the problem when we use bad language is that um, not everybody has the same formation. And some people hear a word and will really feel the strength and the, the evil of that of that word or that expression. And for the one using it, it might just be habit. It might be, you know, some some uh, some uh, softer kind of meaning that they think it has because they've devalued the word by using it so many times. So I agree with you. I mean, I think uh, uh, certainly uh, around around anybody, I mean, women and men who might be um, more sensitive to it. That's another reason why we have to be careful about it. So thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah. God bless you. All the best to you. Uh, Kirk's calling from Winter Park, Florida. Hello, Kirk. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hello, Father Patrick Madrid. Stand in. <laughs> Thanks. How Good to I have do? you. It's on your mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I never cussed. My my cuss word when I was in high school was puss. When I <laughs> got to college, people said stop saying that and then said, say this instead, which has to do with excrement. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I never cussed. And then in my 20s, after I got out of college and knew everything, I just decided that there was no difference between some words and others. And so it just absolutely polluted my language. Mm. My kids were growing up. I said, you know, I started cussing when I was in my 20s. And I got to tell you, I've been spending the rest of my life trying to get it out of my mouth. Hmm. But uh, I talked to a friend of mine, a brother in the Lord, and I said, you know, I don't need to play golf. He was playing golf with his son. I said, um, I don't, I don't, I can't play golf because, you know, I don't need anything else to cuss at. And he said, I don't cuss. And you know, about two days later, it hit me that as long as I'm trying to clean the customers out of my mouth, I am allowing them to continue because I'm, quote, in process, close quote. Mm-hmm. And so I started saying, you know something? I don't cuss anymore. I don't cuss. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that broke that um, that that uh, open door in my life. So I just thought I'd pass along and it just changed my life. Yeah. I don't, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that perspective, Kirk. Thanks for, for sharing how you overcame it. And, you know, it kind of confirms what, what um, people will experience in trying to root out sin in their life or, or vices maybe. I mean, I'm thinking Kirk of, um, people who try and stop smoking. And one of the important things that that smokers have to do, have to arrive at, is to understand that their identity is not rooted in smoking. And that's very hard, right? Because when you've been smoking for decades and uh, and most of your life, perhaps, then you identify yourself as a smoker and you identify the pattern of smoking as part of you. But it's not right. I mean, it's an external behavior that, yeah, has has been a big part of your life for a long time. But when people stop smoking, one of the 
one of the steps they have to take is to remind themselves that I am not a smoker, right? By identity, that does not define me and it doesn't limit who I am. And I would say, uh, as Kirk is describing in stopping, you know, the, that bad habit of using foul language, the same can be true in our life with lots of different vices. If you want to stop doing something, then you have to identify yourself as somebody who doesn't do that behavior. So, no, I don't smoke. It's so much better than just at every moment saying, oh, I guess I'm at this moment, I'm not going to light up a cigarette. Because then you're stressed at every moment about, well, but maybe the next moment I will. Whereas you, if you decide to say, you know what, I don't smoke. That's not, um, that's just not who I am. I am not a smoker. And therefore that, that behavior doesn't, is just inconsistent with my life. And by the way, that same attitude and mentality can be extended to all kinds of different types of behaviors. Uh, people who struggle maybe with faithfulness in their marriage, either through the things they look at or emotional connections to others, they can redefine this whole approach to their life to say, no, I am not an unfaithful person. And it's not, it's not that they're trying to lie to themselves. It's that they're reframing their whole life in order to see it through the lens that God wants them to be, right? In the same way that we say, we are sons and daughters of God. I mean, if you'll let me expound for, for a moment on this. Um, I've been reading as part of my Lenten experience, uh, the works of C.S. Lewis again. And uh, he's just a fantastic author. I mean, just he has such great command of, of English, but he's also so witty and insightful and succinct in what he says. Highly recommend C.S. Lewis for just the synthesis of, of the Christian uh, faith that we we embrace. But one of the things that he, he points out in um, book maybe four or five of Mere Christianity, he says, you know, there are two like ways that you can pretend as a human being. And one is very bad. One is to to put on a pretense and imagine that you're something fake and that you are you are um, an invader or an imposter, I should say, right? And that's not that's not helpful, right? Because you're, you're putting on airs for vain or prideful purposes. And that kind of pretending is not, is not okay. But there's another kind of pretending that is more in line with that phrase you've heard of, I'm sure many times, fake it till you make it, right? You pretend that you're good at something in order to actually become good at it. Kids do this, C.S. Lewis points out, right? When you're, when you're trying to learn how to run, you pretend that you're a good runner and you go all out and you, you do your best to, to run hard. Uh, and you're pretending maybe to be an adult. So you're managing your life and you're playing at cooking and playing at working and these kinds. And you're, you're learning through pretending. C.S. Lewis is talking about what does it mean for us to be sons and daughters of God well, we're in a sense having to pretend at times. Now, we really are, right? But our actions have to sometimes reflect that we're not all the way there yet. So, but we're not pretending out of vain reasons or we're not putting on airs just because we, we think that other people should honor us for that identity. We're practicing what that means. And if I'm a son of God, what that if i'm a son of the beloved father in heaven what that means is my life is going to be different 
my whole identity will then guide who I am. And it will help me to use my language better. It will help me to root out vices in my life. It will help me to live a Christian life that is better. So anyway, it just ties in with what Kirk was saying. I appreciate, Kirk, uh, your insight. God bless you. We go to Maggie, who's calling from Oak Park, Illinois. Hello, Maggie. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hi, Father. Thank you. So good to hear you on this morning. Um, I was saying that, you know, I really, I, I really take offense to this, this language and how low we stooped. And, but I comment, you know, if I, if I can, when I read something on, on social media or Fox News or something in the comments, and, and I really got offended. I really was upset when Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl was using the F word up in the box, and, and they put that on the news and, and that, and, and I commented and said, you know, how, how sad this makes me because I have 10-year-old granddaughters that look up to her and want to hear her music and everything. They're kind of, you know, she's the idol of the moment and uh, and how sad I was. And I got a lot of pushback of people making fun of me for that, you know. Mm, for yeah. uh, And then whatever, they called me a Karen. And I said, well, I did respond. And I said, okay, I'll take that. I'll wear that proudly. I said, but I'm going to spell it differently. I'm going to spell it C-A-R-I-N because I care so much about what our kids are being exposed to. <laughs> yeah. I told them. So, you know, I, I mean, you, you have a very, yeah, you, you have, you're making a very important point, Maggie, that people yeah. with a platform and people who hold this public presence and have a responsibility. And by the way, I'd also say, for example, priests and bishops and those who, I mean, we're not Taylor Swift's, you know, but the the point is is that we have that people are looking to us as models as examples um and this is makes it all the more important that our our actions reflect our values and our words reflect what we actually believe and if i'm using the gifts god gives me either in my actions or my language in a way that that undermines that witness, that example, then I'm 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 more culpable. More risk, there's a greater responsibility for for my actions because it's affecting people in other ways. And certainly, um, those who um, who have like uh, so much public influence, they're going to be held responsible for how they live their lives and what people they led to Christ or away from Christ, and what a what a what an important thing for us to reflect on you know and we can look to maybe the the very famous people on television for this but also i think it it, it is uh the same concept applies to fathers and mothers right so in the home it's very often the father and the mother who provide the model of language and and values to the children and obviously we also learn poor language and poor you know uh, habits in school and in gymnastics class and in other con- contexts of our life. But our parents are have such an uh, outsized influence on our life. What, a, what an important responsibility that fathers and mothers have to be careful about the language they use, about how they speak about others in a way that's always respecting the dignity of their neighbor and always desiring God's will, uh, God's grace upon them. So thanks, Maggie. I appreciate the point. Thank you. God bless you. Okay. Take care. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. I, I like this topic, you know, talking about bad language and the, the difficulties it creates in witness for Christians. 
And also I like it because it reminds us, every one of us, that we have these weak areas of our life that need to be changed. What Lent is this time to change these, these bad habits and to, to reform our lives and to reflect better the love of Christ. So 888-914-9149. I'm Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Patrick Madrid. I'll be back after this short timeout. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Patrick Madrid is on Taco Tuesday, coast to coast on Relevant Radio. Oh, young Thomas, I forgot. It's Taco Tuesday. It is indeed. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, now I know what I'm going to have. For lunch today, appreciate that. 888-914-9149 is the Catholic Order of Foresters relevant radio studio line. I hope you'll give me a call. I'm Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Patrick Madrid. Um, We'll go right back to the phones. Uh, Michael is calling from Albuquerque. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Yes, how are you today? I'm doing fine, thanks. What's on your mind? Good, I, have, I have a question for you. I need to find out. Um, a little question was posed in our, one of our confirmation classes, and also a person asked me about this. Um, if the person knows they're in a state of mortal sin, and they have no opportunity to go to confessions because they can't drive, because of uh, work, or for whatever reason, what, what um, advice can I give them to, um, to do well and to... Um, to, I guess, basically to keep doing well or to do well or to do well so I can, so they don't keep in that state or um, continue sinning so they could figure, okay, well, I'm still, I'm in the state of moral sin, so let me just do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real temptation, right? I mean, we've all experienced that where we, we fall, we sin, and then we think, well, I, I already fell, I already broke my Lenten sacrifice, I already ate one taco on this mm-hmm. Friday in Lent, and so why not have mm-hmm. three more, right? Um, we, we fall into this problem of, of uh, allowing ourselves, giving ourselves permission to sin more. The first, the first thing I'd recommend, Michael, is to, um, to invite that person to evaluate, well, what can they do to make sure that this state doesn't continue? Uh, so mm-hmm. in other words, some people, for example, are living with a partner and they're not married and that creates a real problem for them because they're regularly going to be in a near occasion of sin. They're regularly going to be open to this possibility of committing a, a grave sin. And the first thing they, they need to do is resolve to change that situation, right? Is to, to make sure that that situation doesn't continue in their life. Uh, you, because you can't even uh, uh, go to confession until you've actually resolved to not sin anymore. So it doesn't make sense to to go to confession until you have a plan or at least some some way forward that you're going to uh, strive and 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 not fall into that sin. So that's the first step I'd, I'd propose to them. But the next okay. the next thing I'd say is um, is to evaluate, well, if they can't get to confession themselves, can we bring confession to them? So 
this person, for example, if somebody is uh, homebound because they can't get out, um, well, they could call the office of their local parish and have, excuse me, have the priest swing by and have have somebody come give them uh, the uh, the sacrament of reconciliation in the home. I mean, we do we do house calls all the time. Oftentimes, it's for the sacrament of the sick, but there are those who are not necessarily ill and don't wouldn't um, qualify for the sacrament of the sick, but who still need confession, right? Uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they just can't come to confession that way. So that's a possibility. A priest can come to them. Okay. And then there's okay. the case, Michael, of those who, who genuinely can't uh, have access to the sacrament. They have resolved to sin no more, but what is one to do? And I'm thinking of maybe an extreme case, somebody who is in a... a um, a very remote mission territory where a priest is not accessible and not around. This person maybe committed a grave sin, but now they don't have a chance to to go to confession. What are they to do? Do they just wallow in their in their guilt and their sin uh, until a priest eventually wanders by and they can receive absolution? Uh, no. What they what they should do. What we should do in a case like that is we perform what's called a perfect act of, con- uh, of, of contrition. So we, we express our contrition uh, to the Lord in a perfect way. And this is a technical theological term, Michael. It doesn't mean that there's, uh, that there's no fault in it in this context. What it means is that we're doing it for the right reasons. So perfect contrition is to repent of my sin because God is God and he is good and what I have done offends the Lord. Imperfect contrition is when I I'm feel guilty for my sin, I feel bad in my heart, and I'm worried that I might go to hell because of it. It's still good to experience that because that leads me to change my life and amend my ways, but it's imperfect because it's still pointing to myself and it's still not completely selfless, that is to say. So when we're in a situation where we can't get to confession, we can make Mm -hmm. a perfect act of contrition to the Lord, which we can use in our own words. It's an act of the will uh, and something that is important to to very fervently (laughs) desire and express in our heart to God. But we essentially say, Lord, because I have offended you and because uh, you are all good and deserving of all my love, I I desire to be, receive your forgiveness, and I will, at the first possible uh, opportunity, confess all of my sins before you in uh, in the confessional. But right now, I need your your forgiveness, right? And we believe that the Lord forgives us when we um, when we make a perfect act of contrition, we, because the Lord is merciful. The Lord loves us. The the hard part is, Michael, is that how do I know if my contrition was actually perfect, right? How do I right. know if I did right. it right? Well, that's that's why we have exactly. the sacrament of reconciliation to confirm that we're forgiven. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, perfect. Thank All right. You well, so thank much, Father. I appreciate. Yeah. Thanks for your service. I mean, I appreciate you helping people come to know their relationship with the Lord to help them. And we need more catechism teachers and those who are teaching RCIA, those who are teaching confirmation, all of that. So thanks for doing that, Michael. And, and one quick question, if I may, one more quick question, if I may. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Uh, on this Taco Tuesday, which one did you prefer, soft or crunchy tacos? I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that. On this Taco Tuesday, which one do you prefer, soft or crunchy tacos? 
<laughs> Soft tacos for me. Now that's Soft what I call taco. <laughs> <laughs> and Cyrus, I, we can't forget Cyrus. Cyrus is away, but Young Thomas is, is on the oh, board today. Oh, Young Thomas, Thomas do you prefer Young crunchy Thomas. or soft? You know, I, I like the soft tacos also. Yeah. Um, I actually had oh. a taco the other night to just get ready for today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to make us jealous. That's all you're doing. <laughs> now, that's a crunchy taco. I can tell a crunchy taco from a soft taco. <laughs> right, thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, guys. God bless you guys and enjoy it. And have a blessed Lent. Thanks. You too. God bless you. Yeah, I think... Um, I think crunchy tacos, I, I get flack from, because this comes up occasionally, uh, young Thomas, when I'm sitting in for Patrick and it's Taco Tuesday and people um, will get offended that I don't like crunchy tacos or maybe they'll they'll judge me because they like crunchy tacos. Do you know the problem that I have with crunchy tacos? It's nothing personal. If, if there were, if I didn't have an option, I would eat a crunchy taco and I'd enjoy it immensely. Right? Okay. The problem is, is it's messy. In my opinion, they it's are. not as it's not as convenient and comfortable to eat. That's well, the first problem. They don't even have a back; like you can't wrap them, right? Cause yeah, that's true too. They're, they're crunchy. Yeah, what do you do? You like put your hand on the back so the stuff doesn't go out. The right? yeah, I don't know. I'm trying yeah. to think through. I think I might have to buy a couple tacos to test test this out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, yeah, hundred percent. I totally agree with you. Um, I think that. I I never even knew about crunchy tacos until a little bit later on in life because that's all we had growing up. Of course, I'm not Mexican, so that maybe yeah. plays into it. But yeah. uh, no, I'm with you on this um, soft taco shell uh, bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Okay, soft tacos for the win. Uh, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. You're listening to The Patrick Madrid Show. I'm Father Matthew Spencer. I've been I've been watching this this drama on social media play out, and I I don't like drama on social media because it feels it feels artificial to me. You never know if somebody's just doing this for the views. First of all, you can never. T- I guess I'm I'm just now suspicious of everything of everything these days because you don't know what's real. You don't know if AI created the video you're looking at. You don't know if the person that made the the TikTok you're watching is actually legit or if they're just uh, an actor. You don't know if all of this drama is fabricated. Um, all of that, I, I think, is just makes me a very suspicious viewer of most things that I consume. The um, what I what's interesting to me is watching this um, this particular uh, well episode kind of thing play out. You might have seen this young. This young lady, a screenwriter from Hollywood, who shared a uh, a video on social media. I think it was TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but I saw it somewhere else through some other. Probably it got posted to Twitter or something like that. And she was laughing and trying to make light of a situation of some serious childhood trauma. And she said that her dad abandoned her when she was young to pursue a career in breakdancing. And then he became really big and really good and got kind of famous, like semi-popular. And um, and here she is now, a grown woman. Uh, she's a grown woman and she... Uh, we have this audio, Young Thomas? Actually, we do have that, if you want to play it. Um, I, do have I don't know. I don't think... I mean, it's not... 
here's here's my point. Like, I don't want to get into all the personal back and forth. What's weird to me is she she talked about this. She uh, complained about her dad abandoning her. And her dad yesterday put out a response. And he said, I did not abandon the family. He was kind of making light of it, kind of joking. He actually was really seemed like he liked his daughter, his kids. He said, no, no, I gave them a lot of money and I didn't abandon them. I just lived down the street. And then today she came back and published another video response that, well, he lived down the street for a month and then he left and we never saw him. And I've been estranged from him for years. And uh, the, the interesting thing for me is that um, the whole episode pl- it being played out in front of other people is like such the perfect example to me of why divorce has Uh, collateral damage far beyond what uh, a father and a mother uh, are aware of, at least most of them, I think. Some people know how devastating the effects of divorce will be on their children. But I think many, many fathers and mothers don't realize how traumatic that experience is. And they think, well, as long as I provide money, as long as I take them home once a weekend a month, as long as I buy them Christmas presents and am there at their graduation, then they'll turn out fine. And it just doesn't work like that, does it? I mean, we need as human beings, we need our father and our mother in our lives, in our homes. We need them in our daily uh, experience. We need their witness. And of course, if they're not there because of death or because of a breakdown of, of relationship, of course, God's grace can provide. We will suffer. There will be trauma. We will experience great hardship because of that. We can overcome, right? Because with God's grace, of course, all things are possible. But boy, does it make life hard. I mean, it is makes life very difficult if you don't have your father and you don't have your mother. And they might really love you, but if they're not there for you on a, on a daily basis, then you're going to feel that, aren't you? I mean, adults whose parents divorce experience the trauma of this. I mean, you're already moved out of the house. You already have your own family set up, and then you see your parents split, and it's traumatic. Why? Because what is supposed to be an institution for life And what is supposed to be a relationship where one uh, carries the cross, lays down their life for the other, becomes, uh, well, something less than that. Uh, And I know people get married, or excuse me, divorced for a variety of reasons. And sometimes, as the catechism points out, uh, those those reasons are inescapable and for the good of the children that uh, that relationship cannot stay Uh, intact and the spouses need to separate. But it is not the ideal and it is certainly not uh, something to to minimize. Uh, This whole drama that was playing out on social media, it's turned into kind of a joke, a dad who leaves his family to start a breakdancing career. And here he is trying to defend his, his actions and explain that he really loves his kids. And I'm not here to judge him because I don't know really his side of the story except a couple minute clip. All I'm saying is that this trauma is real, isn't it? I mean, this breakdown of families and the hurt and the, the, the damage that people experience from this is real. 
And you can't make up for that just by providing money for, for a family that, that you lead. And it can't be healed just because we happen to give a portion of our life or to be there for a short period. No. And to me, it kind of underscores why God made marriage and family though in the way he did, because it's so instrumental in our own approach to life and so foundational in how we understand and feel security and relationship and how we learn uh, self-gift by seeing that first in our parents and seeing that in the example of those around us. Uh, it's hard, I know. Marriage is, is a terribly difficult vocation, uh, especially when times are tough and it's difficult to follow through on. But how important it is, right, that, uh, that marriages work through those times. Okay, I'm Father Matthew Spencer. Thanks for letting me get on that little soapbox. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. I'll be right back. Na, 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 na.